Stand with me all over the room. We're going to be reading uh, nine or ten verses of Scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 35. The word said, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them. Put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is that illustration just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Drop down to verse 48. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. For the month of February, we're going to be talking about the very important act of serving and servanthood. Two weeks from today is going to be what we affectionately call around here as Serve Sunday. It's something that we truly believe in. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But today, I want to preach to you the first message in a series that I've just simply titled, I Serve. And today, we're going to be talking about true servants. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you this morning for your presence that we feel in this place. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful people that you have assembled together here today to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the presence that we've already felt in the worship. But God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Lord, that your word speaks to us and it instructs us. And Lord, sometimes your word re rebukes us, it reproves us, and it shows us, Lord, what you would have us to do in every area and every aspect of our lives. Lord, last month we've talked about fasting and prayer and praise. And those are wonderful, uplifting messages that we can talk about the power of God and how you move through those things. But Lord, this month we're going to be looking at something that's a little less popular. When we want to walk away, we still serve. When we're discouraged, we still serve. When it's not convenient or comfortable, we still serve. 
because your word instructs us. You're coming back for servants who are actively working, who are actively serving. God, we want to be in that number. We want your entire church here at Freedom Point to be in that number. So I pray that you would anoint your word, anoint these ears to hear and the hearts to receive. Father, let us be changed by the instruction your word gives us. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Many people will say, what's in it for me? Too often, that's the attitude that we, we've been conditioned with in our lives. And as a matter of fact, people are conditioning their children with that attitude in the day and age that we live in. It's the very way that we approach restaurants that we eat at, the stores that we shop at, the services that we pay for, which are now taxed. Say, oh me, somebody. And sometimes it even impacts the expectations that we bring with us to church. That attitude. Every television ad that we see, every commercial on the radio that we hear, every newspaper ad or billboard that we read tells us that this life we are living is all about us. Life is more hectic, it's more demanding, and it's more difficult than it's ever been. And you deserve to have all your needs and all your wants and all your expectations met. That's what this society will tell you. And then we come to church and we hear a completely different message. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25, He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Let that sink in this morning. Jesus gave us a radically different example. Jesus didn't come to live for himself and expect others to meet his needs or fulfill his wants. Jesus didn't come to be served, the word said, but to serve. Jesus didn't come to receive glory, but to give glory to the Father. God give us a church and some leaders and some worship teams and some pastors that don't want any glory for themselves but just want all the glory to go to the Father. And Jesus, who is the King of the universe, the Savior of the world, He intentionally chose to become a lowly servant. That's what the Bible said. See, serving, I believe, goes to the very heart of Jesus. You cannot get to know and understand Jesus until you first understand that at the heart, Jesus came to serve others. His service went all the way to the cross. And then he called those around him to become his servants with him. And so every time we serve, it connects us to the heart of God while also connecting us to Jesus. Every single day of our lives, Jesus calls us, all of us, to be servants. Some people say, I can't serve till I get this straightened out in my life or ironed out. One of the things that we have been doing 
uh, in my class on Wednesday nights. We've got two wonderful adult classes. If you're not coming on Wednesday nights, I hear rave reviews about Sister Karen's class all the time. Heard some from last week. Uh, and then we, I do a class on Wednesday nights. One of the things we've been talking about in my class, we just finished a series on the 12 disciples. We read a book uh, by John MacArthur, who, by the way, I don't align with fully on all of his doctrinal beliefs. I'll just go ahead and disclose because he's not a firm believer in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Uh, and we are. Somebody say amen. But this book doesn't address any of that. It's called 12 Ordinary Men, and it's about the 12 disciples. I would encourage you to get it and read it. Here's what you'll discover reading that book. You'll discover that Jesus never chose anybody who had it all together to be his follower. Never. All of the 12 disciples, every single last one of them, had issues of their own major issues to deal with in their lives, but then we find that Jesus called them, he chose them, brought them close to him, and had them follow him. And then those men, when he left and went back to heaven, became some of the greatest preachers that ever walked this earth, and had some of the most uh, anointed ministries that have ever been on this earth, but they all had issues. So stop waiting until you get your issues worked out to think you're going to serve the Lord. Go ahead and serve the Lord and let the Lord work out your issues. Can I get a witness? Because he'll do it. I said he'll do it. Now, here's the problem. If you think you don't have issues, that's the problem. If you think you don't have issues. We've all got issues. As a matter of fact, my wife texted me a meme the other night. Y'all might have seen it. I don't know what it come off of, Instagram or whatever. I know it's a reel, I guess. Or I'm, getting, I'm getting old. I'm getting illiterate in some of this stuff, and I just refuse to do Snapchat and TikTok and all that stuff. And so, But anyway, she sent me, I think it was a TikTok reel or something that she sent me about some holy road rage. Anybody ever seen it? She said that was me. So I guess I've got some issues. That's probably just one of them. But anyway, in our text today, Jesus reminded the disciples that the very thing they should be doing, think about this, when he comes back is serving. Jesus didn't say, when I come back, I want you to be out. Don't get mad at me. When I come back, I want you to be out hunting and fishing. Jesus didn't say, when I come back, I want to catch you Binging that series over the weekend instead of going to church. I want to catch you gardening or knitting. He didn't say when I come back. I know I probably just need to turn around on this one. When I come back, I don't want to catch you trotting your children to every kind of travel sport there is instead of going to church on Sunday morning. Mm. Mm-hmm. There ain't a thing wrong with sports. It's not a thing wrong with travel ball. But when you spend more time on the court or on the field than you do in the house of God, there's a problem. And then people wonder, why won't my children get involved? Why am I having this struggle? Why is he doing this or why is she doing that? Listen, let me say it as plainly and as simply as I can in all the love that I can. 
Get your priorities in order. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they grow old, they will not depart from it. That's the word. That's the word. The idea of servanthood, when Jesus comes back, he said, I want to catch you serving. That's what this passage of scripture said that I read to you. He wants to find servants who have given their hearts to live out God's purpose and to serve the needs of others. And the idea of servanthood, or this idea of servanthood, may be the most difficult thing for us to understand and comprehend in our culture today. Because servanthood requires a mental shift. It requires a change in our attitudes and a change in our hearts. God is always more interested in why, listen to me, uh, especially if you work in any area of ministry in this church, God is always more interested in why we do something than in what we do. God is not interested in the fact that we serve up gourmet coffees around here. He's not. But he is interested in the fact that we give a first-time guest or somebody one for free or people that can't afford them for free on a regular basis and love on them and show them the heart of Jesus Christ. He is concerned about that. He is concerned about us being hospitable. He is concerned about us being welcoming. But God is concerned more in why we do something than in what we do. He's not concerned that we have top-notch technology around here. He's not. He's not concerned that we have wonderful lights and screens and all of that stuff and a great person with a lot of brains to run them, Trevor. He's not. But God is concerned with us trying to create an atmosphere in which people will get alone with God and not pay attention to everything going on around them. Well, let me just preach right there just a minute. Here, listen, don't get offended at me. Some people get upset. I didn't even mean to get, get on this. I'm going to walk to this side because my wife gets nervous when I, don't, when I get out of my notes. And I don't mean this in a bad way. Now listen, I don't want us to be dangerous where it's too dark and you might fall and hurt yourself. But somebody shared an article on Facebook about why we worship in the dark. And I, I'm just going to be real blunt and honest with you. It was the worst twisting of Scripture I've ever read in my life. To take a verse out of the Bible and try to make it say what you want it to say. And here's the thing. Here's what I thought. Who is it you want to see? Who is it you want to look at? Who is it you want to pay attention to what they're doing? The best way I know to get alone is in your prayer closet. When you shut the door, and I don't know what you do, but I turn the light out. And I get alone in there in the darkness where I can't even sometimes see my hand in front of my face to where nothing distracts me, and it's just God. Can I tell you something this morning? We don't need to get hung up on isms and schisms and personal preferences. What we do need to do when we come in to worship God, regardless of whether the lights are on or whether they're off, get alone in your own space, in your worship bubble, as my daughter calls it, and get in the presence of God. 
I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what anybody else is wearing. Can I get a witness? I don't care what, who's waving at who and who ain't. I'm concerned with getting in the presence of God. We get, most of us get one opportunity a week. I get two because I just happen to be here both services. Most of y'all get one opportunity a week to worship corporately as a body and get in the presence of God. Don't make it about anything else except getting alone with Jesus in the midst of other people. But focus on Him. God is not concerned with why we do, or with what we do actually, and all of the wonderful things that we do as much as He is in why we do them. Why do we do them? Because we want, why do we serve coffee? We want to love on people. We want to give people an opportunity to fellowship. Why do we have lights and screens and all that stuff? We want to create an atmosphere in which people feel comfortable to get alone in the presence of God. You know what sometimes people tell me? They tell me they love that because they don't have to worry about who's looking at them. They just get alone in the presence of God. Try that sometime if you've not tried it. God is more concerned in why we do something than in what we do. Attitudes count more than achievements. And listen, we're not just looking for folks around here to fill positions. Can I get a witness? But God is looking for people who are willing to fulfill their God-given purpose. And all of us have a God-given purpose with a servant's heart. Now, King Amaziah lost God's favor because although he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, he did not serve with a servant's heart. True servants serve God with the mindset of five attitudes. And I'm never a point preacher, but I'm going to be today. Five attitudes. First, true servants, true servants are selfless. They focus on others, not themselves. What did the Bible say? Preferring one another. Preferring one another in love. What does it mean to prefer somebody else? Well, y'all quiet today. To put your, yeah, put them before you. Put your preferences to the side and prefer them over you. Listen, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. And Paul said to forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's what it means to lose your life when he said, uh, if you try to keep it, you'll lose it. Forgetting yourself in service to others. But if you lose your life, for my sake, you'll, you'll save it. Giving yourself in service to others. And when we stop focusing on our needs, we become aware of the needs of those around us. It's amazing how that works. Jesus emptied himself. In other words, he stopped thinking of himself and pursuing his desires and wants by taking on the form of a servant. I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you emptied yourself for somebody else's benefit? You can't be a servant if you're full of yourself. It's only when we forget ourselves that we do the things that deserve to be remembered. Unfortunately, a lot of our service, though, and I noticed this, not, not definitely not just in this church, but in the church world in general, a lot of our service is often self-serving. 
We serve to get others to like us. We serve to get recognized. We serve to achieve our own goals. But I want to tell you, I've seen it and I've dealt with it. That is not ministry. That's manipulation. And that service, while thinking about ourselves and how noble and how wonderful and how deserving we are, and some people try to, also here's another thing people do, they try to use their service as a bargaining tool with God. I'll do this for you, God, if you'll do this for me. True servants don't try to use God for their, serve, for their purposes, but they allow God to use them for his purpose. Thinking like a servant is difficult because it challenges the basic problems in our life because all of us are by nature selfish. We are. All of us, I said us, are by nature selfish. We think most about ourselves, but the opportunity to be a servant confronts us dozens of times a day where we're given the choice to decide between meeting our needs or the needs of somebody else. And self-denial is the core of servanthood. We'll say one more thing about that and move on to number two. But we can measure our servant's heart by how we respond when other people treat us like servants. Hmm. Let me say that again. We can measure our servant's heart by how we respond when other people treat us like servants. How do you react when you're taken for granted, when you're bossed around, or when you're treated like you're an inferior? The message paraphrase of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41, and I didn't give you this one, Brother Eric, says, If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. That's what it says. Being a servant has little to do with us and everything to do with others. Secondly, true servants... True servants base their identity in Christ. They remember that they are unconditionally loved and accepted by grace so they don't have to prove their worth by what they do or what they don't do. That means that they're not threatened by the, what might be considered the lesser jobs. Are you with me? Somebody told me one time, Pastor, actually somebody that I later learned, I'm just being honest this morning, somebody that I later learned did manipulation, not ministry. When they came in, they said, Pastor, I'll do anything you want me to do. Listen, it wasn't just that. I mean, they tweeted me. They quoted me on Facebook. They blew me up on social media. You know, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. When I first got in ministry years and years ago, Sister Paula Farmer said something to me that I'll never forget. She said, Son, don't ever forget that those who build you up the highest will tear you down the fastest. And so every once in a while, that's good, isn't it? And so every once in a while, I'd read one of them tweets on Sunday after church or one of them Facebook quotes on Sunday after church, and I'd think, wow, that, I, that was good when I said that, wasn't it? And then all of a sudden, I'd hear this little voice in my ear, son, don't ever forget, those who build you up the highest will tear you down the fastest. And that person said to me when they first come in the church, Pastor, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll even, I'll clean the commodes. If that's what you got for me to do, I'll do that. And I promise you, if anybody ever says that to me again in ministry, I will hand them a toilet brush or die. I will. Because true servants are not concerned or threatened by the lower, lesser jobs. As a matter of fact, true servants will be those that want to get behind the scenes and do things that are significant and important that nobody ever notices or talks about. That's the truth. I'm going to throw an example or two at you. 
I miss Dennis Collins when he's not here. You know why? Guess who gets to turn the lights and the heat on? Things that you never think about, insignificant things that nobody praises anybody for, but is anybody glad on this cold Sunday morning that when you got here, the lights was on and it was warm inside? That's one of those jobs that is thankless most of the times, but I appreciate it. You know what? God honors those jobs. God honors a servant's heart. And there's many other people that do things like that that, that are not noticed but are so important. And one of the most profound examples of serving from a secure self-image is Jesus himself washing the feet of his disciples. Think about that. Washing feet was something you wouldn't even ask your servant to do back then. It was considered to be even below the servants. So the only person who washed the feet of others were slaves because it was such a degrading job. But Jesus knew who he was. And it did not threaten or bother him to take a towel and to get down and wash his disciples' feet. You know why? He knew who he was. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had came from God. And so on the last night of his life, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. If you're going to be a servant, you must settle your identity in Christ. Hear me when I say this. Don't do it so that somebody will recognize you for doing it. Don't do it and then get your feelings hurt and get discouraged because somebody didn't praise you enough for doing it. Do it as doing it unto the Lord, and God will reward you for your service. Can I get a witness this morning? Only secure people can serve with a servant's heart. You can't be insecure and serve with a servant's heart because the more insecure you are, the more concerned you'll be about what everybody else thinks, and the more you'll need their approval. But on the other hand, when you base your worth and your identity and your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're freed from the expectations and the approval of others. You know what that means? You're free to serve. It's one of the things this church is founded on. Free to love, free to serve, free to worship. Servants don't need to cover their walls with plaques and awards to validate their work. They don't need the accolades of others. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause because they are serving an audience of one. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and 18, when people, watch this, when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you need to promote yourself and gain the approval of others. Can I get an amen this morning? Thirdly, true servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation. True servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation. In our text today, Jesus said, Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the household? A person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day? See, early on, Jesus taught the disciples that serving is a matter of following him and doing the master's will. As disciples, we've been invited to participate in the work that God has given us and to touch the lives of others by meeting their needs and ministering to them. And Jesus invites all of us to recognize the call to be true servants, to have hearts that are totally about meeting the needs of others, preferring others without being told to do so, and to rise above a life that's focused only on ourselves and to live beyond ourselves for the sake of somebody else. So ministry becomes an opportunity to have a different life than what the world offers and encourages. 
Those of you that get here to serve at 845 so that we can have an 845 service. Don't look at it as an obligation. Look at it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be used by God and to get in the work of God and experience God at work. It's an opportunity uh, to use your gifts and your abilities to help build the kingdom of God and to experience God working through you. Can I tell you something? Those ushers and greeters at the door, that smile and that handshake and that welcome is important. Somebody say amen. We need those people. We need servants that are willing to look at ministry as an opportunity and not an obligation and to serve the Lord with gladness. Why? Simply because we love the Lord. We're grateful for His grace and mercy. And we recognize and realize that serving God is the highest and best use of our life and absolutely nothing else can compare to that. Albert Schweitzer said this, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. Servanthood is realizing that life is not about us and that true life comes from serving and meeting the needs of other people. And I believe that serving is life-giving. I do. I believe it's life-giving. And it's not until you give yourself away for the cause of Christ that you'll experience real life, real meaning, and real joy. Fourthly, true servants are compassionate and loving. Too often in the church... We look at other people and we make unconscious judgments of them. Subconscious judgments of them. We look at what they wear. We look at how their hair looks. We look at what they drive, where they live, what work they do, how they talk, and we make judgments about them. Our own personal insecurities measure them up against ourselves and we decide if they're like us, if they're one of us, or if they're above us or below us. Hear me. But God does not look at people that way. God does not look at people that way. It's not about who you are, how you look, or even what you've accomplished. You know how God looks at people? God looks at people through the eyes of a parent who sees their children with a heart of love. Do you know that there is nothing in this world that Abigail or Shelby could do to make me not love them? Nothing. Those of you that are parents, there is nothing that your children could do to make you not love them. True servants are called to take on the eyes of God and see every person as a child of God, as a potential child of God. In fact, we're called to see Jesus in every person because, listen, we are all, both the saved and the unsaved, we are all made in the image of God. That's what the Word says. Mother Teresa told a story of how one of their sisters had spent an entire day bathing the wounds of a dying beggar who was brought to them from the streets of Calcutta. Then Mother Teresa's voice dropped to a whisper as she told the hushed auditorium that some would consider that a waste of time on a worthless person, when in reality, that nun had been bathing the wounds of Jesus. Then she said, listen to this, 
Christ tests the love of his followers by hiding in grotesque disguises to see if we can still see him. Think about that. The next time you look at somebody in disgust because of the lifestyle that they're living, take note. He could be testing our love to see if we can see Jesus in them. And the desire of Jesus to be in them. Are you with me? I know people today that would not be saved and would not be serving the Lord had it not been for people who loved them and accepted them unconditionally and allowed the Lord to do the work in their heart. That's what a true servant does. The heart of a servant recognizes that when we serve and love others as God's children, we serve and love Jesus himself. The heart of a servant is compassionate and loving. Listen, sympathy is when you say, I'm sorry you are hurt. Empathy is when you say, I hurt with you. But compassion is when you say, I'll do anything I can for you in the midst of your pain and suffering. And in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with compassion and that we are to be filled with compassion, not judgment for others because we see their pain and we see them as a child of God. Compassion says, I'll do anything I can to reach that one for the kingdom of God. The church throws people away. But Jesus is looking for a church that is filled with compassion for the lost. To see them saved and the kingdom of God filled. I don't care if they're tatted up from head to toe, have blue hair and body piercings in more places than we want to know about. Jesus longs to see them saved and converted and brought to the kingdom. But it takes a compassionate church to see it happen. And number five, true servants think like stewards, not owners. True servants remember that God owns it all. And in Scripture today, Jesus speaks of a steward as a servant entrusted to manage an estate, reminding us that servanthood and stewardship go together. We've all been given time, talents, and treasure. The world says those are yours. But God is the giver of those gifts, and He expects us to be good stewards of how we use them. God wants us to use those gifts for His work, which is to serve others, and in doing so, bring them into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The one thing required of such servants is that they be faithful. Faithful in your stewardship of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And I want to ask you this morning, how are you handling the time, the talent, and the treasure that God has entrusted to you? Are you giving more than just an hour or an hour and a half on Sunday morning to God? Well, everybody knows what's happening here soon on April 15th or March 15th if you're a business. But April the 15th, for personal reasons, one of the forms that you're given to turn in each year to the government on that day is your W-2. 
And you turn that in telling how much you've made and yada, yada, and that's how you determine how much taxes you either pay or get back. But I want to ask you to consider keeping track of something yourself for at least the next month. You know, statistics say, studies say that it takes 21 days to develop a habit. So for out the remainder of February, I want you to, to make a habit, and I'm going to say to do a W plus 2. What are you talking about, Pastor? I want you to give at least, first of all, the W is worship. I want you to give at least one worship service that you worship in, not serve in. Are you with me? We have a philosophy around here, sit one, serve one. You cannot just serve without worshiping and getting filled yourself. Can somebody help me preach that? You cannot pour out unless you're poured in too. I want you to make sure that you give at least one worship service that you worship in to God each week. And what's the plus two? The plus two is give one hour of Bible study, at least one hour, and then give one hour of service to God each week. Service. Listen, somebody says, I don't know if I can do that. That sounds like a lot. Folks, you have 168 hours each week given to you. I'm asking you to make sure you give God just three to four hours a week. That's a beginning point that all of us should be able to do. Secondly, I want to ask you this morning, have you discovered what your spiritual gifts are? And I'm going to, I did this a few years ago. I'm going to do it again next week. I'm going to send out a link for some spiritual gifts survey, inventory, that you can answer some questions online and it will tell you what your giftings are and give you ideas of places that you can be used to serve. Because now listen, don't be coming to Nicholas and telling him you want on the praise team if you're not gifted to sing. Somebody say amen. The word said make a joyful noise. So far what I'm hearing is joyful. The minute somebody thinks they're called to sing and they're not, it won't be as joyful anymore. Somebody say amen. But you can learn what your giftings are and, and work in those giftings. And we're going to talk about that in this series, and it's my prayer that you'll discover your spiritual gifts, your passions, and your personalities, which will direct you to where God has wired you to serve in ministry. But Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, I'm almost finished. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. They'll come to the music this morning. I want you to understand something. Serving is not a recommendation. Serving is an expectation and an invitation to live beyond yourself. Every day, Jesus calls us all to serve. And to follow Jesus, we must not only serve, but serve with a servant's heart. Every year in this church, we produce a ministry listing. We usually have at least 25 different ways that you can get connected here and serve. We put it out there, but... You have to be the one to take responsibility to get connected and to serve for God's greater purpose. And on Serve Sunday, we'll have those, some of those ministries set up. You'll be able to visit those and talk to those people and decide if that's where you want to serve. Serving is not a personal choice in following Jesus. Serving is following Jesus. Serving is a part of what this church is about. Free to love, free to serve, free to worship. 
And if we read that passage of scripture that was just on the screen, if Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, we better be found serving when he returns. And after you hear the invitation to serve and you embrace the opportunity, then Jesus calls us to realize the urgency. And that sense of urgency comes because we don't know when. We don't know when the master's going to return. But we do know what his expectation is. And that's to find us serving. So every day we're called to live out the master's will. We do that because we realize, hey, time's running out. Scripture tells us. John chapter 9 and verse 4. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. There's urgency. Do you, see, do you, do you read that urgency there? We must quickly carry out the task assigned by the one who sent us. Because the night is coming. And then no one can work. There are hundreds of houses and apartments literally within a stone's throw of this church. You've attended the 845 service today. I want to challenge you to do something. Before you go home today, I don't know what you, I don't know what you 845 people do for lunch. Do you go eat at 10 o'clock? I don't know. That's early for me. But anyway, do something that you stay out till 11. Make some laps around the streets around this neighborhood. Look at all the houses who have cars at home on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. We better recognize the urgency. This church is not just put here. Listen, we had a great month last month. And Sunday before last, I'm telling you, I thought the roof was coming off this place. Did anybody else feel that? And I wanted that kind of service again today. And the Lord gives me this. Because we need this. But I'm telling you, it was wonderful. Felt like the roof was coming off in here from the praise that was going up in this place. But folks, we better recognize the urgency. This church is not just here so that we have wonderful services and that we worship and have a great time and leave like we did encouraged and feeling great and things wonderful and start the week off on cloud nine. It's not just here for that. This church was placed in the heart of this city so that these people that are at home at 11 o'clock don't go to hell. Are you with me? There's an urgency for us to reach them. We got to work while it's day. We got to hurry about and quickly do the task that's been assigned to us by the one who placed us here. Because night's coming when we can't work. If you're staying with me all over the room this morning. When Jesus returns, what will you be caught doing? Will you be caught doing something in ministry? Or will you be caught doing something that serves yourself? There's something about having a heart of urgency and recognizing the opportunity that we've been given. Serving's not a one-time opportunity. It's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year thing. There's a famous quote, and I'm closing with this. You've probably heard it. I've used it in funerals before. 
Every time I do, I remind myself of what it means. A man by the name of C.T. Studd said this, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I've said it before and I've got to say it again. I need you to recognize your purpose. I need you to recognize your purpose and that God has placed us here for such a time as this so that this room could be filled up at 845 just like it's full at 11. Can I get a witness? Why, Pastor? So we can say we're one of the big churches in town? No. No, I ain't, I'm not concerned with that. And I'll tell you why. Because I am concerned that there's people all around a stone's throw distance of this building that don't know Jesus. And time is running out. And it's on us to lead them to Him. Folks, don't spend your life doing things that have no eternal significance. If you don't do anything else throughout this series, make the proclamation with us to say, I am going to serve somewhere. Now, you may be here today and you may not even, you may say, Pastor, you're preaching about serving. I'm not even right with Jesus. If that's you, you're in the right place at the right time this morning. Don't leave this place without Him. All you have to do is simply repent, ask for forgiveness, believe in who He is, ask Him to forgive you and make Him the Lord of your life. That's all you got to do. And Jesus will save you. So don't leave this place this morning without Him. But as they sing, I want to challenge the rest of us. I want you to find a place in this altar to pray. And I want us to do two things. Number one, if you've not been serving and you've not been recognizing the urgency, I want you to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I recognize and I realize my purpose. And then secondly, I want you to say, now God, I'm available to you. What is it you want me to do? You don't have to ask me. You don't have to ask a member of the staff because God will tell you. God will direct you in what He wants you.